Welcome to China Manufacturing Decoded from Southeast, the podcast where we take you through some of the major topics facing importers and manufacturers in China today. Hi, everybody. This is episode seventy-two of the podcast. Thanks for joining us again. I'm Adrian from the team, and joined by our CEO Renault. Hi, Renault. Hey, Adrian. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thank you. Good. We were just talking about、uh, the restrictions in place for traveling around in China and and Hong Kong for、uh, foreigners. I guess a lot of the、uh, listeners have got, who've got、uh, suppliers in China are interested when it might be easier to go there. And the simple answer is probably it isn't. No, no, it is not. <laughs>、um, there's a little bit of change for people based in mainland China. They can go into Hong Kong. More easily, and that, that's about it. That's about、mm. it. The, even for residents, Hong Kong residents going into Hong Kong is, you know, is weeks in 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 a hotel.、Um, and for non-residents, I understand it's not possible.、Mm. And for、uh, mainland China, it's basically the same story.、Um, you have to go through weeks. At least two weeks in a hotel, and and you might not be able to get food from outside or anything, and 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 you you don't know what hotel it will be in advance. I mean that that can、yep. end up in a <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much like prison,、um, mm. and uh, you, uh, you you have to have the working permit and all the paperwork.、Uh, that that that's a lot of、um, hoops to jump through, definitely, and、yeah. if you. If you're just thinking of going there on a business visa, then、uh, forget about it. Yeah,、It's, we are still far, far from、um, China opening up.、Mm. Now, the, so the, there was there was some communication. There's going to be the Winter Olympics in、um, in China in、yeah. February of 2022. So they say that for sure they would、uh, keep things、uh, closed until then. That's what they're planning. Uh, there are also some other communications that say that probably until、um, you know summer of 2022,、uh, nothing would change. But basically, we don't know.、Uh, the Olympics are definitely a big milestone.、Uh, I would not expect them to,、uh, to 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 become much more accommodating before that. And after after the Olympics, who knows? Well, maybe they're gonna have. A lot of trouble fighting the the new variants that are much more、um, transmissible,、mm-hmm. much more contagious,、mm-hmm. uh, and they actually become even more、uh, restrictive. So, really, we we basically we don't know.、Um, mm. Nobody knows. <laughs> yeah.、Uh, well, I, I'm kind of working on the assumption that during the spring and summer period of next year, things. Probably a little bit better than in the winter period. I'm talking about in the northern hemisphere, because you know respiratory diseases are kind of more. They're a bit worse in the autumn and winter, aren't they? As people are indoors and it's sort of more stuffy and and the weather becomes drier and colder. So if there's going to be a change, it's probably more likely to be you know in another sort of like six to eight months time, I guess. Well, I I hope you're right. However. They've been fighting a very, very hard battle. You know, in、mm. when was that? About about three months ago, it was in Guangdong province. Yeah. And about one month, a month and a half ago, 
it was all around Nanjing, like mm. Jiangsu, Zhejiang, Shanghai, and that was really in the in in in, in summer. In you know when when the temperature is is highest, and they've had great difficulty putting it back in the bag. You know, so yeah. Uh, 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 yeah. Let's see. Well, I, I mean, from the perspective of looking out from China and looking what's going on in the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think I think if if things get grim in the uh, the winter period, they certainly won't be uh, they'll, they'll be reluctant to open it up to foreign travellers. But yeah, as you say, you know, getting a business visa at the moment to go and check on a supplier, even if you said I'm willing to go and do a two week hotel quarantine, well, good luck even getting the visa because they're just not handing them out really. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's it's not easy. No, it's not easy uh, starting the, the process of getting a work visa in China from scratch is kind of painful. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, if 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 it's legitimate, you're really hired by a company in China, then and and you know, and they want to do all the paperwork and assist you through all that. Uh, sure, why not? Yes, I mean, it's going to work. There's no reason. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, very limited. Well, that's uh, that's kind of a somber note to the start of the episode. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we've got to keep it real and, and keep everybody abreast of the situation when it comes to uh, visiting China and Hong Kong uh, suppliers. So the uh, the topic of today, however, is uh, still China focused and recently on China Law Blog. And we've mentioned some of their blog posts before. And uh, I'm sure everybody listening is uh, perhaps aware of China Law Blog, but you can go check it out. Um, Steve Dickinson wrote a post on China and the first to market fallacy. So I know that you've got some thoughts on this and some reactions to it, which I'd like to go through in this episode. So when we talk about the first to market fallacy that's the first port of call for 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 today so what is the first to market you know fallacy what is the first to market argument when you're developing and manufacturing a new product well let's say you have an idea for for a new product you see a need for it in the market there's nothing like what you have in mind really on the market and you 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 know in that case you know, the, the typical entrepreneur is like, okay, I'm going to go ahead with that as fast as I can. Um, I'm highly confident it's going to work and I'm, I'm going to put all my energy in, in into this project. And, um, and I want to be the first one because if I'm the first one, it would be much easier to, you know, reach out to maybe some influencers in the space to, you know, who will review it. Maybe even for free, if the product is, is really cool, mm. um, it would be much easier maybe to have a little bit of, of, of press or mentions on blogs and, and, and so on. Um, is, is, is going to do sort of a buzz. Um, and that's going to help sales and it's going to help establish my brand, you know, my product name as, as a brand in the market. And, um, and we're going to get, you know, what they call share of mind and, you know, in, in, in more and more um, people in that space. Mm-hmm. And then the second one who comes along, well, everybody will see them for what they are. They will just be a, 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 a like a, you know, a copycat, um, a follower who doesn't innovate and they will, 
they, they will not be able to charge a premium like us. Uh, it will take them time to come to the market. We'll have, you know, ripped the market. We'll have distribution deals in place um, and, and, and so on and so forth. It's going to be hard to, to, um, to, to push us out of, of the market. And then, you know, best case for them is like Coke and Pepsi and, and in many, many other industries you have the number one has roughly twice the market share of the first one and, and usually um, commands a little bit of a premium in the marketplace. Okay, so that's the general theory. Mm. You know, brand recognition, loyalty, uh, perceived um, uh, perceived image as a leader and, 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 and as a better offer and things like that. And in some cases, yeah, when you say Hoover, you know, you think of vacuum cleaner because, yeah, they, they, they were, they, they established that in, uh, in, 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 in people's minds. Yeah. And people even say, you know, get the Hoover sometimes, right? Oh, very common here in the UK. Right. And then maybe some people say, well, bring me the Dyson <laughs> when, when, when they, they, they mean, you know, bring me the, um, the bagless vacuum cleaner. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's an innovator that, that came into that space and carved out a, a new, a new niche by, by innovating. Right. And in that case, well, they have patents and, and a lot of things to keep, uh, kind of feeders, uh, away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not even sure if there's like competing brands in that, in, in that space for bagless, um, vacuum cleaners, but that, that's the dream. That's the dream of the innovator, right? He, um, he owns, you know, he creates and owns that market segment basically, right? So, and, 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 and if Dyson had not, uh, spent the time uh, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure that his company has patents. Uh, plus, oh, yeah, of course, yeah. the trademark and the brand and, and things like that. If they had not spent the, the time and the money to do that, you know, <laughs> give six months to uh, to 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 five other companies, and they're going to be on the market also competing with them. Yeah. And and they might make a splash at the very beginning, uh, but then very fast. All the distribution channels and everything are going to be stuffed with cheaper versions of the product, and then they can no longer charge a premium. If they still want to be relevant, they you know they have to keep innovating, get you know uh, version two, version three, and so on. So keep uh, putting a lot of money in R and D, um, turning out you know new uh, new 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 models and, and, and things like that. Uh, so, it, you know, they have to keep investing and their advance will never be more than six months anyway. So that's the, 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 the general uh, thinking. If you go to market fast, you're number one, you can have great uh, benefits. Now, it's not always the case. Let's be careful. That's the problem here mm-hmm. is that sometimes if you're in a market, um, especially in B2B or in, in B2C, but you don't make a big splash uh, just because, you know, even if you launch, even if you do a big crowdfunding campaign and you do a lot of Facebook ads and you, you're on, 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 on uh, 10 blogs and, and uh, five influencers do videos about you and things like that, maybe only 10% of the target market is aware of you after three months on, on the market, right? Mm-hmm. So in that case, 
you have a, uh, a MeToo product that comes into play and they still have 90% of the market to go after that's not even aware of you, right? So there's really some limits here. So some limitations in, in that thinking. But uh, if you are on the market first and you have strong IP protection, uh, it does help you. And that's the point that Steve Dickinson uh, makes in his blog post. You know, he, he's like us. He talks to people who are developing new products. And, uh, and, and a lot of them tell him, well, you know, we, we're focusing all our energy to get to market first. And, you know, if it's successful, we'll worry later, you know, about maybe a design patent, maybe a trademark registration, maybe this and this and that. Um, and, and having a, a good agreement with the supplier so he doesn't cheat us and sells our product in our back. And yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Uh, the reasoning here, and I can understand that. The reasoning here from the innovator, from the entrepreneur, is is going to be a good problem to have. You know, if we're in the market and we're successful already, that would be great. If I spent you know time and money to do things by the book, my product is going to be on the market three months later, six months later, mm-hmm. and then maybe someone else will have uh, launched you know, a similar product, then my whole project would not be successful. End of discussion. You know, I want to be successful first and then I will deal with the consequences of having taken some shortcuts later, right? And I think we really need to to look at the context here and what, what market they, they, um, they want to launch their product into and, and uh, you know, how easy it would be for a competitor to come in and really steal the market from under them. In, so in some cases, I believe that approach kind of makes sense. Um, kind of makes sense if um, uh, it's not a big market. If the fact that they are successful is not going to be very visible, right? So... No Kickstarter, no Indiegogo, um, no, um, even if it's on Amazon, that's a problem. Yes, on Amazon, mm. there's a lot of ways to scout the, 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 the offers and say, oh, something here, uh, you know, popped up and, and shot up a lot, you know. So uh, on Amazon is okay if you go with, um, you know, low volume. Again, if it's a small market then maybe some other companies will not really notice. Mm. Um, or if you if you don't plan to have a big premium, if you think that the way you manufacture is really the cheapest way, um, even if someone wants to do a quick and dirty copy, um, you know, th- th- there's no way to, to have like cheaper material, cheaper process, uh, cheaper distribution. So, and, and you're not planning to make a lot of margin. Well, in that case, is not that interesting to um, to copycats too. Uh, it doesn't mean you will not have copycats, but you know it's less interesting, so less likely you will have some. It also makes sense um, if you if you want to go fast um, on your version one, uh, but your your full product idea will only be your version two or version three. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a long roadmap in mind. That 
that goes back to what we were discussing last week in the, in the, in the previous episode with Andy, uh, Andy Bartlett and um, about trying to release a more simple version one, if possible, learning a lot from that, giving some feedback from the market, reducing the risk, um, you know, the technical risk, the, the market risk, everything, because you, 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 you need less time and less money and you have fewer um, potential issues that can really derail your project. Yeah. Uh, so you start with a really um, much more simple version one. You don't expect maybe a lot of sales, and, but you want to start also you know, some, uh, having a little bit of distribution, having some, um, some feedback from the market and, and, and so on. And then you do a, a, a more complete uh, version two or version three, or maybe you add some extra accessories that make your version one uh, much more valuable. You know, there's this, I can really give examples, but we, we have clients uh, working on these kinds of things. So for example, for um, uh, food preparation products, um, you might have different accessories to, uh, to, to, to take in the material, different, you know, different kinds of material, or maybe to churn out um the, the output in, in, in different ways, different formats, basically. Um, so you, you can add, you can make your product more of a wool product over version two, version three. Um, so your version one is, you know, will be on the market faster. Um, there's a lower chance that it's going to be uh, copied. There's a lower chance that it's going to be, you know, successful and very profitable, but at least... You can already show even potential investors, hey, look, I have this and I have a little bit of distribution here. You know, I have an e-commerce website. I have this this retailer that resells it. Or oh, I'm, 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 I'm working on this this little partnership here with that whatever marketplace. So, and, and, and you see, I'm, I'm starting to gather some data and, and really understand the market. And my next move is this. And, and, and I'm, I'm working on a prototype. Well, it's more likely that an inv- investor will say, oh, okay, well, when you have a prototype that's, that, that looks good and, and works as you expect, you know, come, come back to me. That's interesting. Uh, and, and you might get a check at that moment. Right? Yeah. Uh, so there, there, there are times when that general approach sort of makes sense uh, of going fast, taking shortcuts, you know, just, Focusing on getting to market, um, if you're still going to be low profile, let's say, mm. um, right? If you're going to be high profile, probably not a good idea, right? So, uh, and and that's what Steve Dickinson says in his in in his article. Yeah, it's um, it's like a, you can go to market quickly, but don't go at the expense of taking all of the precautions required to protect your your ip your business right yeah yeah, yeah. i mean I, I i can read a little bit uh, from steve's article here okay um he says the to market argument is based on an approach popular in the 70s and the 80s for many sorts of products and in the 80s and early 90s in the shoe and sportwear market where the when the view was that any style or model had at, at most a six months shelf life. Okay. The approach in those days was to change models regularly, figuring that it took the counterfeiters and copiers at least three to four months 
to get the fakes to market. So as long as they change their styles every six months, they could stay ahead of competition. However, this approach is no longer used because the counterfeiters slash copiers can now get their clones to market in a matter of days, not months. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of true. Um, yeah, with, with fast retailers like that disaster, uh, Shein, um, and, and others, I mean, they, 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 they plan for production to take just one week is crazy. They, w- mm-hmm. they work with really small workshops around Guangzhou. You know, they, put together a design, they send it over there, get some available fabric and tack, 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 cut and sew and ship it out directly. Um, it's really, really fast, right? Um, and then uh, the logical conclusion is, uh, I, I'm going to quote again, the big shoe and sportswear manufacturers long ago abandoned this first-to-market approach in favor of the sort of aggressive IP registration and contract protection our Chinese, uh, our China lawyers advocate for everyone. Mm. Yeah, true. And and basically what Steve is saying is there's mainly two risks. One is that your own manufacturer is going to copy you uh, directly. And yes, that that's happened. We've we've seen it even with some of our clients. Um, they've had <clears throat> they've had these kind of issues. If you don't do the proper registration, well, maybe your supplier sees, oh, there's a market here. That's interesting. Okay, I'm going to development for this um, this buyer, but I'm, I'm going to take advantage of it also. So maybe they they register the, the trademark. They might even register a, a patent in their name or in the name of you know their cousin somewhere. And you can never make the link. If they're, if they're smart, that's what they do. Yes. Uh, sometimes they do it in their name. So it's easy actually to find out. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I've seen yeah examples of that. Yeah, um, we, we blogged on that just this week, in fact. So yes. I'll include yeah. the link to that uh, in, in the show notes. But yeah, yeah. Um, design patents. And that's that's a kind of IP infringement that uh, that could happen. So yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and it can be your own supplier. Yeah, right. So if you get your supplier excited, you know, about your project, well, <laughs> it's a, it's a, dub, uh, how do you say, a double-edged sword, right? Yeah. Um, on the one end, yeah, they're going to put more resources into your project. It's going to move faster. Uh, on the other hand, you know, they might think, well, we don't really need that guy. He brought the idea to us. He helps us refine, you know, the prototypes and give us some good feedback. But then when he says, oh, the prototypes are great, we tested it, they're great, and I show them to some customers, they love it. Mm. At this point, we don't need him anymore. <laughs> um, and that's much more likely to happen if you work with an ODM, original yeah. design manufacturer, um, because, you know, they are in that space. They own some of the IP rights. Usually you kind of piggyback on their other, uh, their past development work. Uh, they can just cut you out at any time and they already have the, um, the distribution channels. You know, they, they already have some customers in that same space. So it's easy for them to show it to some of their other customers and, and, and to start to sell right away. And, and maybe, you know, maybe they cut you out. Now we've seen that. It never goes to production for some reason. You know, they make it very complicated. And um, you, you, you can never get production out of them. Or they still make production for you, you know, <clears throat> little by little. Um, 
but you're not even the first to market because they, they favor their other customers, the current customers, proven customers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they favor them because they're going to sell more and, and um, probably also at a higher price mm-hmm. because they say, hey, yeah, it's our product. You know, we, we, we just developed it. Um, so they can, they can get a premium out of that. So, of course, um, this is very tempting for an ODM manufacturer. For an OEM that is in the same space and also has some other customers in that same space, yes, it can also be um, tempting, uh, especially if there's really <clears throat> zero contracts. You know, you don't have um, a non-use and non-circumvention agreement with them. You don't have... Um, development agreement saying that you own the IP rights. Uh, you, you don't have a manufacturing agreement saying that you have the, the exclusivity uh, to, to, you know, in, in buying these, uh, these products from them and you have the, the right to make these products in other factories and things like that. Uh, they can do what they want. Well, it becomes pretty, um, pretty tempting for them, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> well, if you, if you go to them with a unique product idea, especially if it's something that's new and unique, you know, they'll be, well, thank you very much, Mr. Customer, for your product idea, and uh, we'll take it from here. Right, right. So so that's risk number one, um, where you really see your product on the market faster, you know, earlier than you put it yourself on the market hmm. uh, because of your own supplier. Okay, so that that's, that's a real risk if you don't have any kind of agreement. Um, there's no non-use and non-circumvention agreement to prevent them from, you know, using your your your, your product idea. Uh, there's there's no development agreement or manufacturing agreement that says that you own the IP, only you can be the buyer of this product and so on. That's a risk. Okay. The the second risk that Steve uh, points to is um, all of these companies that have a business model of looking for new products that are promising and copying them very fast. Um, So they look at, you know, oh, this is a very successful Kickstarter campaign. Oh, this company just announced that they would distribute this new product. It looks cool. You know, these these, um, uh, signs of success, signs of market traction. And let me me quote again from Steve's article. The other type of Chinese company that will copy your product is one of the many electronics manufacturers in China specializing in reverse engineering the designs of other companies. This type of company has a very sophisticated system. They understand that manufacturing a clone product is not enough. Even more important is the requirement that they sell the clone product. These clone shops therefore have developed a worldwide network of retailers that specialize in selling clones of the most recent innovative products, and they make active use of the internet. Since these manufacturers need not worry much about quality control or brand reputation, they can normally get their clone to market at almost exactly the same time as your original product, if not before, and at half the price you charge or are hoping to charge. Okay. Um, and then he, he, he explains that they, they know how to... Um, to use actually the buzz from the original product, they position themselves in front of it. You know, they get some mm-hmm. some some bloggers and, and and YouTubers to to review, you know, and to compare their product much cheaper to the to the other one. 
um, and and, um, and and of course they are in Alibaba, and of course they are also in Amazon, um, and so on and so forth. Okay, and that's true. That's true. Um, you see, you might you might think that creating a lot of buzz and building up your online reputation for a for a forthcoming product would actually help you in this case. But but in actual fact, what you're saying is it can be a hindrance in this respect. Well, um, it, it's dangerous mm. um, if you don't have your product already ready to go on the market. Uh, the, what what we've seen is. The innovator works on the product development, gets to a prototype, and then they think, okay, right now I'm going to, to do a Kickstarter campaign. And I'm going to launch, you know, I'm going to get some money. It's going to um, finance the tooling and the first production batch. And then I get some money from the first production batch to finance the second production batch. And that's dangerous. Uh, what happens is that you do the Kickstarter campaign, and let's say you're successful. Everybody in the world can see that. And these mm. um, clone shops, as Steve says, are definitely looking at Kickstarter at least once a week to see what pops up and you know, what's raising money. Um, oh, they see, boom, they see it's, it's successful. Uh, they already have a lot of information about what it's supposed to look like from your photos, videos, and so on. Mm. They will also, by the way, uh, buy you know a few products on Kickstarter. Um, <laughs> just to, 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 to get their hands on, on your product when it's available. Yeah. And then they start to do their own development, their own quick prototypes. They would, they would do it quick and dirty. Um, again, you know, there is a Chinese mindset of, you know, why does it cost 50 bucks a piece? I can, I can make it for six bucks so I can sell it. You know, if I sell it for eight plus all the expenses of putting it on the market and everything, I can sell it at 11 so it's cheaper than than these guys who are saying it, you know, starting at 15. Um, or the, the price difference can even be uh, wider. So let's make some volume. Let's capture the market. Let's get these guys out of the market because they will sell everything and they will sell nothing. And we, we'll be the only ones. And over time, we can raise the price if we want. Um, and we'll, we'll be copied ourselves anyway. So we can't really go with a high premium. That's the thinking. So... They hurry up, they do something quick and dirty, and the, the innovator is still working out, you know, hey, um, oh, reliability is not great. Oh, we need to go back and make a new prototype. And, oh, this material uh, that we picked is uh, um, is really tricky to work with for, for that kind of finishing. So we're going to spend another, you know, six weeks to really get it right. Or maybe we have to change to another material and blah, blah, blah. You know, they... They went a little bit too early with the Kickstarter campaign mm. and they have a lot of technical difficulties maybe um, to, to get the product exactly what they want it to be. And then they, you know, they do the tooling carefully and they, they, um, they, 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 they make some, uh, some adjustments on the tooling until it really looks nice and da, 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 da. Okay. Oh, the testing station is not ready yet. Oh, the firmware. Oh yeah. We, we added this little thing here. Otherwise some people might complain. And then, you know, mass production, shipment, the product arrive on the market, um, you know, five months later. Okay. <laughs> five months is enough time for one of these clone shops to reverse engineer, you know, redevelop a, a, a new product and, and get through their first production batch. 
So they might be at, on the market at the same time as you or, or you know, just after or, or just before. Mm. Well, you've lined up this, um, all these um, PR effort and um, there's some buzz, but, but then some people is, are, are going to, to reach out to the bloggers and YouTubers and so on. They're going to say, hey, you know, we, we, we sell the same product here and it's, it's, uh, it's 30% cheaper. Here's a few samples. Please, you know, if you want to review it, go ahead. And then this guy will say, oh, okay, then, you know, innovator versus copycat. I mean, not, not, not in these terms, but, you know, oh, A versus B. Actually, you know, B for this kind and this kind of use is not bad at all. Yeah. Right. Um, and then they're going to set up, um, you know, their, their, their product on Amazon, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And people who look for, that new kind of product will find them even in Google. So let's say, let's imagine Dyson had, had made that, made that mistake. Um, and the copycat were arriving on the product uh, on the market at the same time. And let's say it's 2021. Well, Dyson would set up, um, you know, an exclusive distribution uh, partnership, maybe with one big retailer for a while but people would look for, you know, vacuum with no bags. And then if they search, um, if they search for that in Amazon, they will find it. And maybe even if they search Dyson, you know, these guys will have the word Dyson in their, uh, in their copy somewhere in the description of the product. Same thing in Google, perfectly legal in Google, totally shocking, uh, frankly speaking. But, you know, if, if I'm, um, if I'm General Motors Cadillac and I, I want to be seen by people who search for BMW, I just pay Google um, to be seen when someone searches BMW in yep. the in the um, in the sponsored links. Absolutely, That's standard practice. Yeah, and well, the copycat can do exactly the same thing. When someone mm. searches Dyson, they can you know they can pop up. When someone searches bagless vacuum cleaner, they can pop up right there. So. The buzz of the the innovator actually serves the the, the copycat very well. So that, that that is really something that people have to to deal with. It's not easy. Uh, mm. It will happen even if you make your products uh, in your own country in your garage, because as soon as you come out as a high profile, cool new product with market traction, that will happen. Okay, so you or you might have it made by a perfectly um, ethical manufacturer in Shenzhen, and nothing transpires. But maybe down the road, also in Shenzhen, one of these clone shops is gonna notice it on Kickstarter, on whatever, and um, and you know on on YouTube or, or whatever. Yeah, it's blocked in China, but don't worry, they they have ways to. Oh. Yes. Get to it. Um, and, and they will start to work on developing the, the, you know, a very close product. So this, this has nothing to do with manufacturing your product in China or not. It has to do with just living in a world where, you know, there's these clone shops. And yes, they happen to, to be, for the most part, maybe 99%, I don't know, but for the most part in China. That's mm. true. A lot of them in Shenzhen. That's true. But that has nothing to do with your supply chain, actually. Um, so what do people do about that? <laughs> they, 
you know, they, they think of patents, but um, with patents, you have to be very careful because it's extremely expensive. Mm. Now you can do provisional patents that are, you know, um, you can can um, can give you the option for one year of uh, applying for the real patent. And not all products actually can can ha- can um, can have a patent granted, even if you you do the the demand, right? It really has to be novel, you know, in the eyes of the people who evaluate it. So it's not an option for every new product, even if it's really truly innovative. Um, trademark, I mean, of of course you're going to register your trademark, including in China. Um, that that's really you know it's not it's not really expensive. And uh, it can give you a lot of options later on. Keep your options open. Um, what else can you do? Well, maybe again, you go with maybe version one, version two in two steps. Maybe you um, you go with, uh, you know, like a pro version and a simple version. And mm. you um, or maybe, you know, do like maybe like Apple, you know, they the iPhone, how much now? 13, right? Yes, it's, just come out. It's coming out. Well, yeah. the iPhone 12 is still on the market cheaper, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe even the iPhone 11, I have no clue. Um, but the components are cheaper, you know, the, but the whole thing is still good. So mm-hmm. if people want a good, uh, good phone, uh, that, that's still an option and it's cheaper. Yeah. Or maybe the iPad mini. I saw they just came out with a new iPad mini, mm. but the previous one is still there. Well, the previous one, you can price it at the level of the, the copycat products just to, to, um, uh, to prevent them from having a wide open market, basically. I think the, the AirPods are probably an example of, of coming out with the V1.0 and then iterating mm-hmm. later on once you've got you know, market share and market recognition. I, I mean, look, it's not going to be such a problem for Apple, is it? Because whatever Apple make, people are going to buy it, even though the, there are definitely going to be cheaper options and maybe cheaper copycats, of course. But, you know, the, the original AirPods, they then came out with the AirPods Pro later on, which were, you know, sort of like 25% more expensive or something. Uh, and And so that was once... They'd already become kind of ubiquitous. Everybody was used to seeing all, you know, influencers and people online with with the white AirPods sticking out of their ears, and and it's become quite a thing now. So they build up that recognition before iterating. That's, I suppose, that's an example of of what you're saying. I mean, I see how being first to market is kind of a fallacy in this case because the copycats can move just so quickly now that it that being first doesn't necessarily give you that protection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very true. Um, I would agree with that. Again, it 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 all has to be seen in context, as I was saying at the start of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, in 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 some cases it does make sense. In others it does make sense. Uh, in in some cases there's so much at risk that you really want to work very very closely with a very good lawyer. Uh, in other cases, um, it, you know, it doesn't make that much sense. Now you. Should you still know what the risks are and what the usual tools to to um, to approach that are? Of course, should you work with a lawyer to 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 get something minimal in place, um, at least um, non-disclosure, non-use, non-circumvention agreement that's legally enforceable in China and things like that? I would say yes. Mm. Um, you know, does does it make sense to go with a patent? In many cases, actually, no. 
uh, again, as I said, provisional one-year patents, uh, you know, can be a good idea um, to to reassure investors. Uh, but you you don't actually need to put fifty thousand dollars down into um, in, 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 into patents. Uh, you know, if you don't even know if your product is going to be successful, right? So that's a very um, very common trap. Uh, and there, were, there was even some something I, I, I read about that in LinkedIn. Someone commented on that, said, "Oh, yeah." And um, a customer, you know, that they were developing a product, prototype one, they applied for patent. Then they did some changes in the design. Prototype two, again, applied for patent. And then prototype three, prototype four, and then they ran out, out of money after paying four times for the patents. Huh. So that 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 is just crazy. You 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 know, you got to be um, you get to look at all the risks in your business, in, in, in your project, and you can't just over-focus on one risk at the expense of others. I think that's uh, that's really what, what we've been saying all along here. Yeah, and, it, and as well as having the protection that you've spoken about, which we've we've discussed before on the podcast in various written content, you know, I, I guess you've got to have that uh experience to know when to go when to when to hit the sort of green button right absolutely um it does take a little bit of um experience to know what actually makes sense and that's why you know talk to people in the supply chain talk to lawyers talk to um you know designers and so on and and make up your own mind try to try to approach this from a perspective of where are the risks and how can we mitigate them great well so there you have it that's why being first to market these days uh, is maybe not quite as effective of a strategy as you may think given how quickly uh, companies in china can pump out competing products as soon as they know that uh, yours has got a little bit of uh, interest and traction on the market um, we've we've uh, mentioned a number of um, blog posts and things like that, especially the original post from Steve Dickinson on China Law Blog. Uh, I'll include the links to those. And for everybody listening, I mean, how have you been affected by product protection and and IP infringement? Have you had any issues? You know, do do let us know by commenting, or you can contact us at uh, sophies.com, of course. So, um, yeah, thanks for your reaction to that. Renaud, that's a very interesting one today. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Adrian. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, don't forget to like and share. And you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other places that you get your podcasts from. See you next time.